What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Coming of age. This phrase has a bunch of different meanings. In books and films, coming of age stories often focus on a protagonist's growth from youth to adulthood. In religions around the world and throughout history, coming of age often involves a ceremony that marks the entry into some kind of maturity. Baptism or confirmation in Christianity. First Communion for Catholics. Some Hindu castes hold sacred thread ceremonies. And apparently in ancient Rome, puberty rituals involved a boy shaving his facial hair and taking off his bula, a gold chain that held a pouch of phallic-shaped jewelry. In fact, pretty much all of these practices take place around adolescence. There's a lot we could unpack there. But today, we're going to explore sex and relationship coming-of-age experiences brought on by bold decisions, self-exploration, and really impactful conversations. If this episode turns you on or you would like to get turned on, please head to thepleasurechest.com to start shopping. They have been championing sex positivity and inclusivity for decades, and they have so many awesome specials right now on sex toys, lube, and more. Again, that's thepleasurechest.com. Cindy Darnell, a sex and relationship therapist and host of the Erotic Philosopher podcast, told me she learned the value of embodiment as a sexual practice some 25 years ago. It started back in the 90s with a workshop she attended about having more embodied orgasms. At the time, she really wasn't expecting that to change her whole life. All I wanted to do was learn how to have sex that was good. Like my bar was pretty low. I just was like, I just want sex to not be bad. And, and, you know, when I think about it in retrospect, I don't know that I was having bad sex necessarily. I think I just didn't know what I was, I didn't know what I was doing actually is probably what was happening because you don't know what you don't know and you have nothing else to compare it to. So if all you've ever done is what you've ever done and you don't know if it's good or bad, you just don't know. And I think, you know, maybe one or two years before that, I had had my first orgasms by myself. I'd never, definitely never had orgasms with a partner at that stage. So I wasn't interested in how to have sex with another person necessarily. I was, these workshops were solo, you know, it was about how to do yourself. But we practiced on other people. And at that time, you know, we were divided into genders. We only had two genders back in the 90s and there was only men and women. So <laughs> yeah. I was in the women's program. Um, and so we would we would practice on other women. And it was just remarkable because it was it was not about performance. It was not about pleasing anybody. It was not about putting on a show. It was about learning how to feel every single 
glide of a finger, every single moment of breath, every single moment of arousal being in your body and not feeling like you had to rush, not feeling like you had to be quiet, not feeling like you had to, you know, hold in a fart or something. If you needed to fart and just let it out, that was welcome. If you, at the point of arousal, not orgasm because it's a slightly different thing, but if you wanted to cry, that was welcome, you know. And so learning how to be in that highly charged state, like, you know, when we, you charge your phone and you're looking at it and watching the dial going up and up, it's this practice of being able to do that for ourselves and feel within yourself when your battery is getting full and then you can you can pull back a little bit or or keep going and go higher and higher and higher and the beauty of it is is that you can you can be in that state for hours if you want to and now you know we know that this work has expanded and it applies to all genders it's not no longer just men and women it's everybody but the principle is the same so anybody who has a body can learn erotic embodiment. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> As you were sharing that, and I'm imagining you in this class and thinking of before that, when you were like, I just want to have good sex, whatever that is. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure where so many of us start out, right? Yeah. Even now, yeah. I think. Yeah. Did you yourself experience those fears and barriers you mentioned where it's a little scary because it's something so new and and maybe foreign i'm sure there are other barriers too yeah i mean it was it was scary for me because you know first i didn't know what i was getting into i didn't know what was going to happen i just knew there would be other women there i didn't know that we would have to get nude but we did i didn't know that we would have to touch ourselves and each other but we did and I mean, it was consensual, obviously, but still, that's really confronting being nude in a room full of strangers, touching each other and being turned on. You know, that's very rarely happens these days, especially in a context where the goal is not to perform, is not to show off. Mm. It's just to be with yourself, with whatever comes. And, and even though there's no pressure, that in itself is scary because you don't know what you're going to discover when you open that jar. You know? But a lot of, you know, what I discovered and I think what most people discover when they start embarking on this is that there's a lot of feelings and those feelings are connected to things that we long for, things that we hope for, things that we want, and also things that we regret, things that we couldn't get, that we couldn't access. And, you know, learning how to be embodied is, is, a, is a great tool, period. Learning how to be erotically embodied, meaning you can give yourself fully to your experience. You know, August, it requires trusting yourself. And that, that's a skill to be learned. You know, that comes with practice. It comes with repetition. And so in terms of scary, that's scary too especially if you've never had to really be there for yourself in that way before. It's not a bad thing. Being scared isn't bad. Being scared is how we learn 
our boundaries. Being scared is how we learn our limits. Being scared is how we learn where we end and our partners begin. So I'm all for being scared. I think being scared is good. Perhaps a better word is risk. Learning how to take erotic risks, I think, has been my number one tool in my sexual toolbox. Yeah. Wow. And then to, if that is one of the first times that someone truly starts learning to trust themselves, the, the ripple effect in your life must be profound. For me, it's been incredible that when you, when you can trust yourself, when you know that you've got yourself, you almost become invincible at that point because it's almost like you can become bulletproof. Nothing can hurt you because you know the worst case scenario and you think, well, I can handle that. So I'm all right. And that, and that's really exciting. Yeah. I love this idea of trusting yourself to be there for yourself yeah. when you're taking risk, when something feels scary. Mm-hmm. Because even as you're saying that, I don't know if you noticed, I sat up taller. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I was feeling that like, oh, yeah. Whatever comes my way, I mm. I trust myself to be with me through this. Yeah. Did that set you on the path to your your work today? Oh yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. If I hadn't had those very formative experiences in my early twenties, I think I would have found my way to this work somehow. It's so embedded in who I am, but I don't know that the path would have been as clear or as straightforward as it's been for me. It's, it's been, it's almost like, can you imagine your life without, you know, being you? I just, it's like, it's a really hard thing for me to think about. I cannot imagine my life without having known that stuff when I knew it. It's hard for me to imagine you doing something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not just like a job. It's, it's you. Yeah, it is. It is an extension of me. It's who I am. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a vocation for me. It's, and when I have tried to not do this work, I actually get quite depressed. Because mm. I tried to, um, you know, I tried to straighten out, as it were. I tried to, you know, just <laughs> be a normal person and live in the normal world. And I can't do it. It makes me depressed if I'm not doing this work. And so even though there's a lot of challenge that comes with this work, stigma and people misinterpreting what I'm doing and assuming bad things and assuming the worst about me in some cases because what I do makes them uncomfortable. Mm. Um, But for me, that's a small price to pay for those who do resonate with what I say and that transforms their lives. That's what makes my job nourishing. And here I am, what, 25 years later, and I'm still doing it, and I'm still yes. bored. So <laughs> what would you recommend to someone who wants to begin working on their own erotic embodiment? Mm. What's like a good first step? The good first step is get used to feeling yourself. Some embodiment people encourage mirror work looking at yourself in the mirror sometimes that's too confronting i think as a as a place to start especially looking at yourself nude if you've never ever done it before it can be a bit jarring and a bit confronting a really great thing to do is when you're taking a shower or taking a bath 
to just touch yourself and really allow yourself to feel that and allow your hands to linger on your genitals and around your butt and really focusing on, you know, what we would traditionally call the erotic areas, even though, of course, necks and feet and things are erotic for people. People tend to not be freaked out by touching their own neck, but they can get a little bit frozen when genitals are involved. So that's the area that I really encourage people to practice, allowing yourself to really feel, to really feel it. And that can take time, especially if you're a bit numb, you have a bit of numbness in that area. A lot of people do. And that's across genders. You know, it used to be just something that women experience now. We know that there's a lot of people with penises who struggle in that area. They struggle to get erections or they feel uncomfortable about the size of their penis and that sort of stuff. And so that can create this sense of disconnection, which can lead to numbness or very little sensation or too much sensation. And then they feel they have no control of that part of their body. So it's this sort of extremes of the same problem. So erotic embodiment is about taking control of those sensations rather than having those sensations control you. And it's very powerful. And that's where the trust element comes into it. Andrew Gerza is an award-winning disability awareness consultant and accessibility awareness specialist, international speaker, and host of the podcast, Disability After Dark. A coming-of-age story he found especially powerful happened when he took action on a desire he had had for some time to start working with sex workers. So do you remember kind of the first time the idea came to you to consider working with sex workers? Yeah, I do. I was sitting at home. It had been much like right now. It had been like 10 months of me not able to access sex in almost a year. And I was really depressed and I had kept hearing about sex workers and I kept seeing things on my social media feed of people who were sex workers but I always had this thought in my mind that and this really you know sexist thought that sex work was bad and dirty and it was inappropriate and it was like a really dangerous thing and all these all the ideas that we're so used to hearing about sex work but I was like look I'm really horny I want to have sex I'm not getting it the conventional way. I tried Grinder. I tried all the other ways to meet somebody. And because of ableism, it just wasn't happening. And I remember I went on this site for weeks and I looked around at the people that I wanted to hire. And I looked, I kept going back to it and I kept like going and almost clicking and saying, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. And then one day I was like, just do it. It's a little bit more expensive than what you were expecting, but you'll feel better. Just, just, just try. So I did. And, you know, that first experience was the first worker that I ever worked with ended up not working out so great. It wasn't a fantastic, like, experience for me the first time. But as I kept doing it and realizing that this was an avenue for me as a disabled person to access sex, like, I really, I really opened up to the idea. But I I remember still holding a lot of shame even after we did it. I was like, okay, I got to have sex with like one of the hottest dudes ever. It was really hot, but I'm ashamed. And I remember feeling shame afterwards. And I remember I would book repeated sessions with this worker. Um, We don't see each other anymore, but I would book repeated sessions with this guy. 
And I would lie to my, my, my friends and family about what I was doing. I'd say, oh, I'm going on a date. I'll have a date with somebody. And be like, ooh, ooh. And I'd be like, oh, just a friend. You know, my mom and I are very close. And then one day, well, my mom and I are on the phone. And we're talking. And I said, mom, I could tell you something. And she goes, okay, what? And I said, well, I got to tell you that I hired, I hired sex workers. And I remember she paused. And I was so afraid to tell her. I was terrified. Because I thought she was going to disown me. I thought she was going to say that it was really horrible. I thought she was going to have all this fear. And she paused and went, oh, good for you. If I were in your situation, I would do the same thing. And I went, oh. And it just, it made me feel so safe and so comforted in what I was doing because she realized how much, I, I, I didn't tell her for, I, I worked with somebody for about a year before I said anything. So I didn't say stuff for a long time. So when I finally told her, and because of my disability and all the things that I need, we're very close. So when I finally told her, it just felt, I get this rush of like, oh, now that she thinks it's okay, I can tell everybody. And then we ended up going on a Canadian podcast and on the BBC talking about how I told her. So it was a really, you know, it's been one of those experiences that I, I'm so proud that I did it because it brought my family and I closer. But also with my current worker that I work with, his name's John. Hi, John. Um, he he's he's so such a sweetheart and such a kind man outside of just being a worker like we have really truly built a relationship together and yes it's a working relationship and yes i pay him and yes there's all those things but he understands the importance of us working together so that kind of relationship with somebody and learning that you don't have to have a romantic relationship with somebody or these big pronouncements of like care to care about somebody and, and in working with John now, we've been seeing each other for three and a half years, almost, or no, almost three years at the end of this month. That's a long commitment to be with somebody. And before Corona, we were together once every two weeks. So like we saw each other a lot. To have that bond with somebody, it made me really shift how I thought about sex and how I thought about relationships. And like, I, I really get excited when I spend money on myself like that. When I, put down the hourly rate to spend time with him. It's like, I'm doing this for me. Through the pandemic, Andrew and John have stayed connected in other ways. Andrew told me that even checking in with each other by text has helped. Although the touch starvation so many people are experiencing lately has hit him especially hard as a disabled person. If you've toyed with the idea of hiring a sex worker, and maybe you're in a similar place to where Andrew was earlier on, feeling nervous or unsure. Andrew had this advice. I would say, first of all, that working with a sex worker is a privilege. I'm very lucky to have the finances that I do. And I understand that a lot of disabled people in my position have to make the decision, do I eat this week or do I hire a sex worker? I was in that position, so I fully understand if it's not something that's available to you, which is why I say I think governments should be funding this. I think sex work should be funded and a part of government relief programs because it isn't this dirty back alley thing we envision it to be. It's a really important, vital part of our sexuality. And when I started working with workers, it allowed me to like open up and be really slutty and be really vulnerable and be all these things that I've kept inside. I also didn't have to put all this weight of a relationship on somebody. I could say I want to do this really dirty 
sexy thing with you? How do you feel about that? They'd say, cool, we do it. And then they leave. There was no pressure to like turn it into this romantic thing. And so I would say to anybody considering it, look at your finances, see if it's available to you, see if it's something you have access to. But if you're scared, and I'm going to speak directly to like the disabled community listening, if you're scared of somebody being ableist to you, lay out what your needs are. Explain to them what you're afraid of. Let them explain to you as maybe a sex worker what they're concerned about, what their needs are. Like, really have that conversation because John and I, we did when we first started talking on the app that we met on. But when, when we finally sat down with each other, like, we, I've had him on my podcast and chatted. I said to him, were you afraid of me the first couple of times we hooked up? And he was like, oh, yeah, I was terrified of not meeting your expectations and hurting you and all these things. And so when we finally talked about that, it allowed for us to both take a breath. And so I really would say, if you're financially able to hire a sex worker, do it. It's not as scary as people make it out to be. You may find that you and the worker don't click and then you can hire someone else. Or you click great and you have a long-lasting relationship. is an award-winning industrial designer and co-founder of Crave, a company that designs elegant pleasure products for women, including my beloved vibrator necklace. Her story actually inspired me to create this episode. While we were discussing her sexual empowerment journey and all things vibrators for a recent episode, we ended up segueing into embracing aging and a conversation she had with her dad that helped clarify her relationship path in really empowering ways. I mean, it's like either you accept it or you don't. And I think it's silly to not accept it. I feel so much better about getting older. I love being in my late 30s and now, you know, entering my 40s. I would never, ever want to relive my 20s again. That was just a hideous time for me. Like we were all sorts of confused and lost and emotions and hormones that like, I don't care for that again. I mean, sure, I'd love to have, you know, the tits I had and the body that I had back then. But you know what? Nah, I'm quite okay. And I think, you know, embracing aging is not just the physical aspect of it, but also the emotional aspect of it. And especially as you get older as a woman, there's such a social pressure to fit in to what the cultural mold is, which is, at least for my parents, and I think it so happens is that, you know, when you're in your 30s, that's kind of like the time to get married. And for my parents, that was, the age was 36, which means that that was their expiry date for them. For some reason, they thought like, if you don't get married, you know, by the time you're 36, you're just going to go bad and like expire on the shelf and nobody's going to want you. You're going to be an old spinster. So that was sort of the, the context. And I was just exiting a long-term relationship at that point in time, which I thought we were, you know, heading the right direction, but luckily it, it didn't for so many reasons. When I was 36 and after all of that had happened, you know, single again. And um, I just had this really profound conversation with my dad because in a way, you know, as a daughter, as a woman's society, I felt like I had kind of let him down because they had such high hopes that I'd be married. Just like, you know, my younger brother, I'm the oldest and then my young brother's sisters are all married, you know, except for the youngest one, which is because she's only 20 something. But I had a conversation with him and he helped me to kind of let go of that cultural expectation. He said to me, if I had to do it all over again, 
Okay. And my dad, he's in his seventies. He was like, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have gotten married. He was like, you know, I've always thought you were an idiot when you were a child, but now I realize you might be onto something. <laughs> my dad has such a sense of humor, but he just means that like, you know, if he could do it all over again, he, he wouldn't have gotten married, which presented to me another valid option to live. And from that point on, I think I just kind of started to let go of this concept that I have to be married or I have to be in a relationship uh, or I have to have children and things like that in order to live a very fulfilled life. That was probably like one of the most profound conversations I've had with my dad. We don't have a lot of conversations and that was one that just, it helped release a lot of anxiety and set me up on in a different path that is more for myself and not for what the society expects of me. Learn more about Cindy Darnell at cindydarnell.com, where you can sign up for her workshops or work with her one-on-one by Zoom. Learn about Andrew Gerza's work at andrewgerza.com and more about T. Chang at lovecrave.com. Order The Handy Book of Love, Lust, and Disability, a book Andrew and his colleagues put together that weaves together powerful stories, poetry, and artwork from 50 contributors from the disabled community at the link down in the show notes. This week's listener question came in anonymously through a dating survey I sent out a couple of months ago. I'm in a wheelchair and I feel like guys online only want to hook up with me. How do I meet someone who will see me as a person? It breaks my heart that you are going through this, my friend. And I'm just so frustrated with our culture for not creating a place where you can feel fully embraced and respected. We all deserve that. And I really do believe that you can meet someone incredible who is worthy of you. First, I brought your question to Andrew Gerza. That's a really good question. You know what? I would confront those guys who only want to hook up with you and just very politely say, okay, why? Why are you, why are you interested? Why? Get them to confront their own ableism because maybe, they're, they, maybe they, they are curious about sex and disability and that's okay, but they're probably coming at you in a way that is really inappropriate, a way that is super ableist, a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think the only way you can combat that is to say, thank you so much for your interest. Can you elaborate more as to why? Get them to, to tell you why. And if they can't, you just move on. And I think, you know, getting someone to see you as a person, I mean, that's hard regardless of whether you're disabled or not. I don't think that's a disability thing. And I think a lot of us with disabilities use the, we have internalized ableism telling us we're not valuable, telling us we don't have worth, telling us we're not sexy enough. So I would also suggest that you consider confronting that own voice in your head. What does that voice say to you that makes you think you're not a person? Because you are. Thank you, Andrew. He is always so wise and encouraging. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. This is a great question. And honestly, it's one of the most common questions I hear from individuals with or without disabilities. Because the reality is we just don't have chemistry and connection with everyone, or I'd even say most people. And that's true of platonic relationships as well as romantic partners. And certainly disabilities have their own challenges in terms of when and how to disclose. Some are comfortable putting it right out there, front and center in their profiles, through pictures, 
and others, depending on the nature of their disability, sort of choose to wait and see when it feels like the right time. There's really no gold standard. Um, But the most important thing, and I know I'm sort of preaching the choir when I say this, is that no one is defined by their disability. And yet, if you encountered, and we often do, we can see how polarized and closed-minded even and sometimes well-meaning individuals can be. But that when if you come across somebody who's closed-minded about your being in a wheelchair and they're not interested for whatever their reasons might be, honestly, as the saying goes, it's their loss, not yours. You know, one of the things I can certainly say is choosing dates and places where you're already comfortable and you sort of know that wheelchair access is really great so that you can sort of show up and be more relaxed and sort of being at ease to sort of let your true confidence, sexy side of yourself shine through. And when it comes to being sexy and feeling sexy, really it's about your personal choices and decisions um, in terms of when to hook up, right? And that, again, whether or not you're disabled, this is always true. It's like, if you're interested for the pleasure for yourself, fantastic. If you're in part hooking up because you imagine it might lead to a second date, That actually is not recommended um, because the reality is you only choose something that for the moment feels right to you without any expectations of what that might lead to in terms of potential future encounters or a potential relationship. I have other clients who over the years have for themselves, and again, this is a very individual choice, but have preferred to date other people with disabilities. And again, it may not even be the same disability. And so there's some really great dating sites that cater to people with disabilities, including those that are specific for wheelchair users, including the Wheelchair Dating Club and Wheelchair Dating. All I can say is keep active with your friends, letting them know that you're available, you're interested, and keep trying out different dating apps. Because I would like to say to you and to everybody listening, if I had a magic wand, I would love to make the dating experience and finding a authentic connection a breeze. For you and everyone else out there who's looking for a romantic relationship. Unfortunately, I don't have that magic wand. So all I can say is keep showing up with your best of self. Keep clear to your intention. Have a clear vision. Know what you want to say yes and what you want to say no to. And as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about being really true to yourself knowing what your intentions are and letting folks in your circles know that you're available and seeking romantic fun. If you're open to some spicy ways to manifest your desires or even really think more about what you really want, check out my recent chat with Kristen Soleil to learn all about orgasm magic. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe if you haven't and consider leaving a rating and review. While you're at it, I would so appreciate it if you would let a friend or two know about the show. And stay tuned for a special announcement about an exclusive Girl Boner Radio community that I would love for you to join me in. For occasional hot sex tips from Dr. Megan, as well as a free download of clitoral play ideas, text the word DESIRE to 66866. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.